Good morning, Hope Ottawa. My name is Jeremy Giesbrecht. I'm the director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries at Redemption Bible Chapel, London. And um, I was meant to be with you guys this morning uh, in person in Ottawa, uh, worshiping with you guys. And uh, the Lord had other plans, and I tested positive for COVID on Wednesday night. Um, but the Lord is sovereign. And uh, two weeks ago, I preached uh, what I was going to preach for you guys in St. Thomas uh, with uh, Pete Bergen leading worship there. And I know he's blessed you guys quite a bit. So um, I was able to preach it there and now they recorded it. And so uh, you guys hopefully will be blessed by um, hearing from Ephesians 6. Um, spiritual warfare is real. Um, even even right now, I'm, I'm feeling that feeling just down and discouraged that I can't be with you guys worshiping. Um, but I know that the Lord is greater. And so today I'm going to going to suit up um, as much as I can today. I'm going to suit up and and hopefully you guys do too. And, and hopefully you guys are, are, are blessed. And and just as I've been praying with Ray and Joel and um, just been prayed for, uh, I've just really been wanted to, wanting to come and worship with you guys. So hopefully, Lord willing, uh, I can do that soon. But for now, uh, I am praying for you guys uh, for your Saturday service and uh, pray that you guys will be blessed. Well, good morning. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. I will do the same because I need to be there to preach from it, right? So when I was younger, I was really into mixed martial arts. Uh, from about 2008 to 2017, I watched pretty close to every single weekend. If there was an event on, I watched it. I watched the reality show. I went to a couple of meet and greets with fighters at various venues. I even dragged my wife to one of those before she was my wife, which is a big indicator that she loved me. Um, I attended a couple of live events. I was such a big fan of mixed martial arts. I decided to sign up for an MMA gym in Toronto. So when I signed up, I was in pretty decent shape. I just dropped 80 pounds that summer biking and eating healthy. So I showed up with a little bit of pride to that class. I'm a pretty fit guy. Uh, the class started and I was just, I was fired up. I was ready to go. We did a bit of jogging around the gym, some light jump rope and a bit of shadow boxing. No problem, easy. But that was just the warm up. When the class actually started, we were doing eight three minute rounds of just intense training. Kickboxing combos I'd never done before, burpees followed by sprints, followed by flying knees, just full rounds of hitting the heavy bag as fast as I could. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> to say the least, I was not ready. I was so ill-prepared, it was just all a sweaty blur. And at the end, I puked and I walked out, never to return. <laughs> it turns out, me not being in shape uh, as actual people who do MMA just left me really unprepared. Hopefully you're in Ephesians 6 by now. Um, Free Indeed happened recently. Hopefully uh, some of you watched it. If you haven't watched it, it's on Hope Oakville's website. You should watch it. Men or women, doesn't matter. You should watch it. But at the beginning of the conference, Robbie Simon said this. I'm not sure if you realize it or not, but we've just stepped into battle. I'm not sure if you realize it or not, but we've just stepped into battle. And that hit me harder than any roundhouse kick to the face ever could have. I'm not sure if you've all realized this this morning, 
But we've stepped into a battle. Every day we're in a battle. So the question I want to ask and answer this morning is this. Are you prepared to fight? So with that in mind, let's invite the Lord to speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you. It's a celebration. We can gather here with many less restrictions. Lord, what a celebration. What a great time to be here. Thank you for allowing us to be here, Lord. And, and thank you for your word, that you speak to us through your word. Your word is living and active, and we believe that you speak to us through it. We thank you for this privilege to gather. And we know, Lord, right now across the world, people can't gather because they're, they're fearing for their lives. They're gathering underground. So we thank you for this privilege that it is to gather here this morning. Lord, would you teach us from your word this morning? We need you. We need your word. We want the heart change in us this morning. Not for us, but for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so since we're stepping in at the very end of Ephesians, I'm actually in Colossians. What was I thinking? <sighs> Let me get to Ephesians. That was from youth on Wednesday. Um, <laughs> since we're stepping into the book of Ephesians at the very end, we need a bit of context. So Paul here, he outlines the gospel, and then he encourages the church. That's what happens in the book of Ephesians. So let me outline the gospel, because if you don't know Christ, then the rest of this message, it's not for you. God created the world absolutely perfectly, but we as humans messed it up by sinning. And since God is holy and perfect and just, he cannot tolerate sin. So we deserve death, but we can't pay that debt because we incurred it. We're the sinners. And then Jesus Christ came to live the perfect life, perfect obedience that I couldn't live, that you couldn't live, and then he died my death, your death on the cross, and he rose again, defeating death. And if you believe that is true and confess him as the Lord of your life and you follow him, you're forgiven of your sin. If you haven't done that this morning, you can do that literally right where you're seated, and I would encourage you to. So in the first five chapters of Ephesians, Paul shares this in a far more detailed way, and then he exhorts the church. And after all of his exhortations to the church, Paul gets to something that maybe you learned as a kid. Uh, my wife was singing this song to me about the armor of God. I had never learned it. Maybe you learned that song too. I'm not going to sing it for you. You're welcome. Um, but he gets to the armor of God. Paul knows that everything that precedes this text, it's not possible without the armor, loving one another. Being united in Christ, walking as Christ walked. Paul knows that being a disciple of Christ is not just some human experience that we just learn like we learn an alphabet or how to skate or how to cook a perfect pizza. Paul knows it's a fight, it's a battle, it's war. And it's to this end that the Apostle Paul exhorts the church at Ephesus and us today. So look down to your Bibles at verse 12. You're in chapter 6. Let's look first at verse 12. He says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Here's your first point. The truth is that spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. Friends, there's a war going on all around us. I'm not talking about what ha what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, though that's important, and it's terrible. 
I'm not even talking about what's, what's been going on in Ottawa. Now, that's important too. This war I'm talking about is spiritual, and you and I are in it whether we like it or not. There's no conscription and there's no conscientious objectors. There's a spiritual battle going on right here, right now, today, this morning. It's the battle for our souls. It's the battle for our worship. And Paul reminds us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not fighting any of you, and you're not fighting any of me. I'm thankful because some of your tradespeople, you could beat me. I know that. I'm just a desk worker. I'm a pastor. <laughs> the church really needs that word today, though. We're not fighting one another. Paul wants the church at Ephesus to keep the major things major and fight those things. We're not fighting flesh and blood. Flesh and blood are weak. I can punch. I can kick. I can bite. I can scratch. I can wrestle. I can wrestle flesh and blood. But that's not our true enemy. Our enemies are not mere mortal men and women. Our true enemies are the evil forces in the heavenly places. True evil that has true power in this world. They're constantly seeking to fight us, to assault our view of God, to tear down our godly habits, to distract us, to stop us on the, on the way to the altar, to worship the Lord, to whisper those lies in our ears when we're most delighted in God. And you might not even realize it's happening sometimes. But if I took a poll here today, you don't have to put up your hand, I assume most of you would agree with me here. Most of you would say that you believe spiritual warfare is real. There are unseen forces at work. Just as the Holy Spirit is unseen and at work to sanctify us, so too are evil forces and spirits at work to try and prevent that sanctification or to even prevent you from loving Jesus at all. So then if we know this truth this morning, why do we often walk around naked spiritually? Why do we often fight our battles the exact same way the world does? Those who don't believe in Jesus, they fight their battles apart from God. So why do we sometimes do this? I believe it's because we don't believe that the war is real or consequential. We don't see the danger that we're in. We think things like, it's just a show, it's just a song, it's just a thought, just a relationship, just a fake social media account, just, it's just the way I am. We believe that we in our flesh are stronger than that temptation because we believe in the power of wills. We believe in the power of determination of our own greatness. This is why the foolishness that manifests things into the universe, that's why that exists, because we believe in ourselves. But that temptation, it's not just a thought we have. That lie in our minds, it's not just another anxious day. These are real spiritual forces, stronger than you and definitely stronger than me. So let me ask you something this morning. What is that thing that you think is a flesh and blood struggle that's actually a spiritual battle? We tend to think our flesh and blood struggles are our identity. We don't treat them as spiritual battles. I have lustful thoughts. I struggle with what I look like. I am anxious. I get angry. I am an angry person. 
I have bad language. I struggle with fear. I struggle with pride. I struggle with gluttony. I've been really in the octagon with the Lord on this one as I've been writing this sermon, and he's not gone easy on me. I haven't scored any hits on him, even with my best excuses. I just can't. So you might not know me. Some of you do. It's good to see you. Um, I've always been overweight. But do you want to know why I've been chronically overweight? It's not my will. Because I proved that summer, dropping 80 pounds, my will can do it. It's not my will. It's I believe that this is a flesh and blood battle. When in reality, it's a spiritual battle to decide whether food is my God or is a gift from God to be stewarded well. I want to be careful there. I'm not saying that all overweight people are sinning as there are real medical conditions. Please hear that right now. But in my life, I've not battled this spiritually. I haven't. So what's your flesh and blood battle this morning that you need to start thinking of as a spiritual battle? Because you're not wrestling with flesh and blood. You're, you're wrestling with evil spiritual forces. So as you think about that, let's continue in our text and read verse 10 to 13. Paul says this, finally. So he's, he's detailed the gospel. He's ex- exhorted the church. And now finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Your second point is this, the task. In God's strength, stand firm. If the truth is that spiritual warfare is real, then our task is to stand firm in God's strength. So there are two things going on. I'm not sure if you realize that. Be strong in the Lord and be strengthened by his might. We must be strong in the Lord. And you might be thinking, well, I've heard that verse before. What does that mean? We must constantly be learning and applying all that the Lord is teaching us through his word, through sermons, through other believers, so that we can be more mature in our faith and be strong in the Lord. Or if I can put it another way, in the things of the Lord. Are you strong in the Lord? Are you strong in the godly things that you've been called to? Are you reading? Are you praying? Are you serving? Are you giving? Are you confessing your sin, living like a Christ follower should? Are you constantly exercising those muscles so that you can be strong in the Lord? We have need to be strong in the Lord. If you're not strong in the Lord, how are you going to wear this armor that he's about to encourage us to wear? How are you going to wield the sword if you never practice with it? How are you going to stand firm if you skip spiritual leg day? If you're not strong, all of these things will be burdensome and tiring. Putting on that piece of armor, I've got to pray again. I know I do. I've got to remind myself of the gospel. I know I do. It's, it's so tiring. If you're not strong in the Lord, how can you do these things? We're called to be strong in the Lord. But we're also called to be strengthened by his might. 
If you're a child of God, you've got that Holy Spirit power. You've got that sea parting, people raising from the dead power in you. This is the power in us to fight, to stand firm, to put on this armor. We have no sufficient strength of our own. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our natural courage is often cowardice. Our natural strength is weakness. We know that our strength will fail. It will. So we're strengthened not only in the Lord, but by the Lord. Both are completely necessary. As Christians, we're never helpless or hopeless. Never, ever. We exercise these godly muscles to be strong in the Lord so that we're not helpless. And then when we fail... We rely on Almighty God to strengthen us at our weakest and our darkest moments so that we're never hopeless. But why? Why do we do this? Why? Paul, thankfully, he gives us the why. He says in verse 11, he says, so that we can stand firm. We can stand against the schemes of the devil. And then in verse 13, so that we can withstand in the evil day. And then having done all, we can stand firm. We're strengthened now so that we can stand firm later. Between 1987 and 1991, there was construction on a structure named Biosphere 2 in Arizona. Maybe some of you have heard of it. But the main idea of the project was to create a closed ecological system to prove the viability for one day in the future, space travel. A self-sustaining dome complete with a mini ocean and desert and wetlands and, and grasslands and a rainforest, a crew quarters, all of that stuff. It was a fascinating project. You should look into it. But it failed for a number of reasons. But one issue was the trees. The trees were placed in what was thought to be the absolute perfect environment. Exactly the right amount of sunlight was let through. Exact. The soil was nutrient-dense, and there was never, ever, ever a lack of water. So the trees, they grew quickly. The problem was the trees started to fall over. They would get to a certain height, and they would fall over. And the scientists, they didn't know what was going on at first. These are strong and healthy trees. Why are they falling over? Well, they had no internal strength. The scientists didn't account for the wind. So that when they're young and the wind is bending them, they they dig their roots down deep so that they don't fall over. The The trees, they grew stunted in shallow root systems, no foundation. Once the trees grew too tall, they fell over. So we need to dig our spiritual roots down deep right now, so that when the trials come, we're not blown over. We've got to stand our ground. Having done all to stand firm, we must resolve by God's grace to not yield to Satan. Resist him, the Bible says, and he will flee. We're strengthened. And then we put on the armor. So let's read the rest of our text because this is point three. We're we're getting to putting on the armor. So Verse 13, let's start there again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So your third point is the tactics. Suit up every day. Suit up every single day. That's the tactics. Had to come up with a T word. The plan. That's the plan. So Mike Tyson, arguably one of the greatest boxers of all time, he said this. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Lots of boxers train for weeks and months to beat Mike Tyson. But when they got in the ring with him, few ever did. I think he was like 44 and 6. I did some research. Studies show that his punching power is equivalent to being shot by 13 22 caliber rounds at the same time while you're wearing a flak jacket, 13. Or it's also equivalent of falling a height of 2.1 meters or almost seven feet. Imagine falling seven feet on your face or on your kidney or on your stomach. Something's gonna happen. That's power. So tell me, do you have a plan Are you planning to stay pure on the internet? Are you planning to not be anxious? Are you planning to read the Bible and pray more? Are you planning to combat that addiction? So what happens when you get punched in the mouth? What happens when the evil forces of this world come with far more power than just flesh and blood fists and punch you in the mouth? When your best laid plans of school, house, spouse, kids, money, accolades, business, fill in the blank, when it all falls away, what's the plan? Because the evil forces, they don't just want to punch you in the mouth, but as soon as you go down, they want to kick you as well. So what's the plan? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So the plan must be that you suit up every single day. We get strong in the Lord, we're strengthened by his power, and we put on the whole armor of God. Not just one part of it, the whole thing. Don't just look at and treasure the armor. You've got it on a stand in your living room. Oh, my armor looks so good. Don't you love how it looks? No, we've got to use it. We've got to put it on for the battle. I have an exercise bike in my basement, but it hasn't made me a single bit fitter because I haven't used it. We often are just walking around naked, no armor on. Maybe one arm guard. We said a prayer as we left the house this morning. Lord, keep us safe. We've got that one arm guard on. That which Christ wore, we must wear. The first piece is the belt of truth. This is the the piece that holds all the other pieces in place. The belt makes sure we're not caught metaphorically pants down. The sword, it's attached to our belt. 
My wife bought me a sword for Christmas, and I wanted to bring it, but I thought, that'll be too distracting. I just can't do it. God's absolute truth is the central connecting piece to all of our armor. If we don't know the truth, what is true, we'll be easily lost in what's false. This is so important in our world today. Truth is relative. You can find your own truth. What's true is you is is what's true to me. Let me speak my truth. No. Those are lies from the pit of hell. God's truth stands above all other supposed truths. Do you believe this? So next, we're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. So I'm a bit of an armor nerd, so I know that a breastplate is this huge piece of armor that covers, like, everything. It's this huge plate of steel. Um, It's often, like, engraved with, like, a crest of some sort. It covers and protects the vital organs, the heart, the breastplate of righteousness. But can I warn you, this isn't the T-shirt of our self-righteousness, This is the breastplate of Christ's righteousness, impenetrable. This protects us first from the divine wrath that was aimed at Christ on the cross as he died for our sin. And it also protects us against the attacks of Satan. Your heart can be guarded and protected by the fact, the absolute truth that you have a right standing with God. The breastplate of the righteousness of Christ is it's the best possible protection from, for your heart. And you've got to put on this breastplate every single day by reminding yourself every hour, every minute that you're a forgiven child of the king. Third is the readiness given by the gospel of peace as shoes. These shoes signify a prepared and resolved state of mind to live out the gospel no matter what and to stand firm in it, regardless of what difficulties or dangers or sacrifices there are, you will be ready in season and out of season to live out the gospel, to give reason for the hope that is in you. Are you ready to stand firm? Do you have that peace? Next is the shield of faith. This one's often overlooked. People people love the swords. I haven't seen a lot of people with, with shields in their houses, though. I want one. But the importance of a shield on the battlefield, it can't be overstated. The breastplate, it it protects our vitals, but the shield, we can turn whatever way we need to in order to meet those arrows, arrows of the evil one. We know from Hebrews that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is trusting in God for all he has said and done, and he says he will do, even though you can't see it yet. This defends us from the fiery darts of the evil one. When that fiery dart of did God really say is coming in, the shield of faith turns this way and says, yes, God did say, and I believe. God did say I'm loved and cherished and accepted and redeemed and he will never leave me or forsake me and his word is truth and marriage is for one woman and one man and lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, they're all wrong. Yes, God did say in my faith, I'm gonna believe that his way is best even when I can't see it. Our helmet is that of salvation. Our salvation is in Christ and with this hope we secure our head and our thoughts This comforts us and gives us peace when everything else around us is crumbling. 
Our salvation remains secure in place. This keeps our thoughts from being troubled or dismayed. Our salvation is the forefront of our mind, always on our head. It keeps us trusting in God and rejoicing in him and all that he has done. So those other pieces of armor, they're all defensive pieces. They protect us. But the last piece that he mentions, the word of God as the sword of the spirit, this is our offensive piece. But far too often, we don't bring our swords with us. And I'm not even talking if you brought a physical copy of God's word. It's not even what I'm talking about. But so often, we start the day and we don't grab our sword. We leave it by the door and think, I probably won't need that today. And that devil, he's just, he's just roaring in your face and you've got, I got bare hands. Get away from me, lion. You're defenseless. If the Son of God wielded the sword to defeat Satan, how much more should we? You understand that in the wilderness, Christ could have, in the face of the devil, he could have been like, dude, I'm God. Take a hike. Get out of here. What are you doing? But he didn't do that. He showed us that scripture arguments is the best way to combat temptation. Why even try to use anything else? Christ used the sword. God gave us the sword. He gave us this. We have this. Psalm 119.11 says this, I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? Why? That I might not sin against you. I'm going to wield this sword to fight temptation, to kill lust, to murder comparison, to slaughter anxiety, to chop into pieces laziness, to slice and dice jealousy, to decapitate that old man or woman of sin inside of my heart. I know that's serious language for 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, but the sword of the spirit, it's meant to kill that sin, to go on the offensive. Well, listen, the sword of the spirit, it's only as useful as the abilities of its owner, right? Of its wielder. So if you've never skated before, and I handed you a hockey stick and I said, have fun in the NHL, you'd look like a complete fool. Maybe not on the Leafs. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm a Red Wings fan, so. Uh, But if you had skated since you could lace, before you could lace up shoes, you lace up your skates. And you played Timbits hockey. You played in the juniors. You played for the London Knights. And then you're drafted. Well, I might just buy your rookie card because you're probably pretty good. But some of us have been Christians for years and we can't even lace up our skates. We're going to get into that fight with the spiritual forces of evil, and it's just going to be a mockery because you can't wield your sword. And if you can't handle a sword, you can not only hurt yourself, believe me, the swords that my wife bought me, it's it's sharp. It's really sharp. So if I'm just swinging that thing, I can cut myself. The sword, it's, it's sharp. You can not only hurt yourself, but others. To my very great shame, When I first became a Christian, and that was when I was 16, so just keep that in mind. I'm 35 now. I've matured a lot. Uh, When I first became a Christian, I found the verse 1 Timothy 2.12 to be a funny verse, way out of context. If you don't know what that says, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. As a 16-year-old boy, that's funny to throw around to my lady friends. But I hurt 
A lot of them. I hurt them because I was just, I was just throwing around the sword like it was just some game. If you don't know how to use the sword, the enemy can even use it against you. He tried to use it against Christ in the wilderness by twisting it. And I know I'm speaking to a bunch of church folks here, but the stats that I found are that somewhere between 9 and 14% of people in North America read the Bible daily. Daily. So statistically, 9 out of 10 of each of you walked in here without a sword, walked out of the house without a sword. Now, hopefully, it's 0% of you walked out without a sword. But in the fight for our souls, for our worship of God on a daily basis, this can be fatal. The final thing Paul says, it's not actually an armor piece, but it's so necessary for the Christian life as a soldier. It's prayer. So you can think of prayer like all the clasps on the armor. You, you clip everything together. It holds it all on. I read this quote as I was studying for this, and it just hit me between the eyes. It said this, when you can't use your sword, when you can hardly grasp your shield, you can pray. And Paul makes it really important. In his text, he makes it clear how important this is. He says, praying at all times. We must pray with all prayer and supplication, with all kinds of prayer, whatever kind of prayer you can think of, public, private, secret, social, solemn, sudden, with all the parts of prayer, with confession, with petition. This keeps us constantly close to the Lord in conversation so, so we remember whose we are and who dwells within us. And when we pray, can you agree with me that prayer for others knits our hearts together? I don't know that many Ukrainians. But as I'm praying for them, man, my heart is just like, I love these people. And then we pray with hearts of loving compassion. I don't know if you know this this morning, but you stepped into a battle. Whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not, that's the truth. Spiritual warfare is real. But the task for all believers is to stand firm by the strength that God gives you we do this daily by suiting up in the full armor of God for his glory so that we can fight this battle known as life. And when we fail, we know that ultimately, the battle belongs to the Lord. So with that in mind, let's pray and then let's worship. Lord, once again, we thank you for the ability to gather this morning. You're so good to us. You're so, so good to us. And we thank you for your word of truth in Ephesians 6, helping us to realize that we are in a battle. Every single day we're in a battle. And Lord, this isn't a flesh and blood, me versus people. It's the spiritual forces of evil in this world trying to disrupt my, my soul, trying to captivate my worship for, for themselves instead of for you, O oh Lord. Help us, O oh Lord. We need you in this battle. And we know... We're human, so we're going to fail. And when we fail, Lord, help us to remember this truth, that the battle belongs to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.